ever since I was a kid, I've been a news junkie. Like to know what was going on, right? And even now, I subscribe to five or six newspapers, several magazines. But these days, I find myself, this self-described news junkie, opening those newspapers, those magazines, listening to news programs less and less. I still haven't been able to watch the eight minute and 46 seconds of George Floyd's murder. I haven't seen the video of Ahmaud Arbery fleeing. I haven't looked at pictures of Breonna Taylor's murder. I want to hold my arm over that fire and feel that flame burn, but I know, I know it will consume me. That I have to practice self-care to listen to myself saying, you cannot see that right now. Sometimes you gotta bury your head in the sand in order to keep your sanity. But what if, instead of turning away, you step forward? Today in Snap Judgment, we proudly present Genio's Journey. One amazing story from the belly of the beast. My name is Glenn Washington, hoping and praying for just one slow news day when you're listening to Snap Judgment. adapted from the World Affairs podcast and radio show, and it does include scenes of police violence. Sensitive listeners, please be advised. Teresa Cazzarillas takes it from here. Snap Judgment. Last year, Gino Ferreira found himself at a thrift store near Oakland, California. There was a cop's motorcycle turned over out front, and a black SUV crashed by a nearby wall. And there was a man dead in a parking lot. The man was black, and he had been shot by several Alameda County Sheriff's deputies. Gino saw this swarm of cops and started walking towards them. I'm thinking I was blocks away from this when it happened. I didn't know if it was a justified shooting or not. I literally had no idea what it was. And, you know, this is a, you know, what is this? (laughs) What is this going to turn into? Is this another debate? Is this, what is this? What is this about to be? About 10 years before this, Gino was waiting in the wings behind these massive speakers on a stage in Italy in the middle of the summer. We walked out on stage. And I grabbed the mic and I said, hey, and a hundred thousand people said, hey, <laughs> it's like, what's up? 
100,000 people said, what's up? And it was like, oh, shit. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is the wave. This is where the tidal wave happens. So going out on that stage was like total and complete annihilation. Like, we were just going to destroy the stage. We going in like the special forces. People call Gino the Piper, as in the Pied Piper, who led legions of children with his music. Growing up, he got into rap battles with the kids in his neighborhood. And after years of sneaking demos into the hands of the right people, Gino and his band Flipside were touring the world. They toured with Busta Rhymes, Pussycat Dolls, Akon, and the Black Eyed Peas. Snoop came out on stage in Amsterdam with a joint the size of my forearm. Then NBC made their song Someday the theme song for their Winter Olympics coverage. That song was written at like 2 in the morning, eating cold Chinese food. I was definitely thinking about where I came from, all of my homies, the ones that aren't, aren't here any longer. And it was just like, someday, we're going to have the world that we want someday. I was just, you know, carrying their spirit with me, carried them with me around the world. Gino grew up in West Oakland when it was a mostly Black neighborhood. And you can hear some of his friends in his music. Guys who were talented, hungry, and a lot of them died too young. Gino lost his friend Marcus Holland, his cousin Rick Lav, who was more like a brother to him, and Jihad. He was pretty much getting straight A's all through high school. Genu and Jihad played football together. And he was a phenomenal athlete. He wore an African suit to prom, <laughs> like in 93. And he was a leader. They both went to college on football scholarships. Genu graduated from SF State. Jihad went to school at UC Berkeley, one of the best public universities in the world. When Genu came out with his first honestly, not that great demo, Jihad was the one who listened to it every day. He never got to see Gino get signed. I'm carrying everything with me, all the people that have passed away with me, and we're clamoring for success, and I'm working as hard as I possibly can, and things, you know, just begin to fall apart. Two new videos surfaced today in the shooting death of a young man New Year's Day by a BART police officer. One witness captured In the early the hours of New Year's Day 2009, a white officer on a BART platform shot Oscar Grant. He was a 22-year-old unarmed black man. His death was filmed by bystanders, and the video shook Gino to his core. I remember watching it. When he shot him, it was just like a jolt went through me. He shoots him in the back while he's laying face down. Tears immediately came to my eyes. When I was late teens, early 20s, I was across the street from my house, and I, I remember I had a bottle of orange juice. I was coming out of the liquor store, and, you know, two cops rode up and jumped out, pointed guns at me. You know, hands, 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 let me see your hands. And I remember the look in their eyes, like they were, it was a crazy look. Like they were terrified, like they were ready to shoot me. And... They were like, where's the gun? I was hyper-focused on them in their eyes, you know, in the gun. And what they were saying, 
and I just made sure my hands were up. And I'm like, I don't have a gun, I'm not armed. And they search me and they're like, you know, somebody was shooting around the corner. They patted Gino down, didn't find anything on him. He was just another young black man in West Oakland to them. They get back in the car and smash off. God, I mean, it's almost like... I didn't go home and write a poem about it or a speech. You know, I didn't start organizing. It was almost like a backdrop to life. And I'm looking at it on TV and it just, it hurts so bad. And I just felt something had to be done, period. Something had to be done. So I go to the protest, you know, with my wife and son and my my friends and, and there's thousands of people there. And uh, I remember a journalist was interviewing artists and he said, what can we do as artists to make sure this never happens again? I'm standing in a circle of artists. I'm the only one on a major label. I have a gold record in India. My homies back in Oakland weren't listening to our music. I'm, I'm pretty sure the police weren't. What can we do as an artist to make sure this doesn't happen again? As an artist? We can create something and hope that it has an impact. But what can we do? There's one person that decided to pull the trigger. He was a cop. If a miracle happens and we get rid of this cop, who's going to replace him? Became the question. And I looked around at the protest and people were passionate. People were in tears. People were chanting. It was all different races ages, you know, people were coming from everywhere. And I couldn't imagine anyone there replacing them. I sat with that for a while. And I started to think, you know what? I should start thinking about going into law enforcement. Was the idea to reform the institution? No. Or, okay. I don't, I don't even know if I considered that. I was thinking about occupying a badge and a gun and making it do what I wanted it to do in accordance with my values. Just to see if I could, if I could choose to not pull the trigger and I needed to know if that was impossible. I needed to know if that was impossible. My mother didn't want me to go into law enforcement at all. Like, my mother was extremely clear, never expect anything from this system. Gino's mom is a former Nation of Islam instructor. She raised him on a steady diet of Black revolutionary theory. Growing up, Gino learned Swahili in school and never stood for the national anthem. And a lot of his friends had been activists. You know, I love some of those people. What I heard a few times was, you're not going to be able to rap after this. Rappers hold a special place in our community and in resistance. Like the moment you put on that uniform, you're not gonna be able to rap anymore. There are gonna be people that are always suspicious of you because you made that decision. Gino was pretty sure he wouldn't be allowed to become a cop anyway. I've been arrested before. I had homies in the pen. I've been all over the world rapping in front of Snoop's weed plants. You know what I'm saying? Making crowds chant all kinds of stuff against the government and against the police. I felt like I needed to do something other than write a song. I need to see something that I'm doing working. And I found out when the next academy was, 
I went and I paid the money. And I went in. On Genio's first day of training, he walked into a classroom with over 50 other recruits. Only five of them were black men. This academy was for the Alameda County Sheriff's Department. They respond to calls all over the Bay, including Genio's home neighborhood in West Oakland. He honestly expected to get kicked out. I went in so battle-ready that they took it as me having an attitude problem. And I was approached the first day. Uh, and they're like, do you have a problem or something? I'm like, I'm just ready. And they were like, okay, well, we'll see. And that day, you know, we had like this, <laughs> this grueling workout, right? And I was ready. <laughs> and I'm looking to the side, I'm looking next to me. And this dude literally could not do two push-ups. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, this is amazing. And I look up and one of the instructors are looking at me. It's like, I told you I was ready. Whatever they were throwing at us, I was knocking back. Eight to ten hours a day, Genio ran dirt hills, slogged through mud, and swung through obstacle courses. The officers who trained him were tough, protective, and drilled into him that this job was dangerous. Their whole thing is my students will survive the battle. They will live. You watch videos of cops being killed, and they, and they pick those videos apart. You know, why was this cop killed? He was careless in his stance. He, he, he wasn't, you know, at a proper angle. It's the traffic stop that you least expect that's going to kill you. If they watched any videos where the cops were the ones that killed people, well, Gino doesn't remember that part. I talked to the department Gino trained with about this, the Alameda County Sheriff's Department. Their spokesperson, Sergeant Ray Kelly, says the department now includes videos of officer-involved shootings in their training. But they didn't when Gino was in the academy. And some of his training was kind of surprising to him, as someone who grew up in one of the neighborhoods they were talking about policing. There was one incident where the instructor was talking about how, with a, with a pat-down search, how you can't just reach into somebody's pocket and pull out drugs if you think that, you know, he has drugs in there. And I countered. I was like, you know, in Oakland, I've seen cops reach into somebody's pocket and pull out drugs and say the drugs are right here. You know, and he was like, well, I'm telling you what the law is. And I'm like, and I'm telling you, I've seen it. Gino felt like he was from another universe a lot of the time at the academy. But he did well there. You know, I expected hillbillies. I expected just madness. And when you're in there, it's, it's eye-opening. And you see all these people being trained. And a lot of them are good dudes. It's like being on a football team. There are plays that you memorize and practice over and over again. Everyone has a job to do. Everyone has each other's backs. Gino's good at football, and he was good at this too. He was disciplined, competitive, the kind of guy who pushes himself to excel at everything he does. Like I graduated, I think, second. I gave the speech at the graduation. Then Gino was on the force, patrolling some of the same communities he was raised in. It didn't really hit him until he clocked into one of his first shifts. He got into uniform, and he ran into this guy he knew. And he saw me, and it was just like, oh, my God. It was almost like somebody punched him in the face. He was just stunned. He was just completely blown away, know that I was a cop. And he was like, okay. <laughs> okay. You know, I see you. So moments like those is when I realized, oh, you know, I'm a cop. Wow or realize the, the impact and the depth of what it actually meant. 
From the beginning, Xenia wanted to be a good cop and a good man. So he needed to be the opposite of the cops he'd had some bad run-ins with. He took certain precautions. He didn't carry a taser because he didn't want to accidentally hurt someone with it. Like, my values put me in greater danger. I was very cautious. It was about to start getting dark. It was like dusk. It probably would have started with the tone. Boop. And then everyone plays attention because they know it's something serious. Units in the area of 153 and East 14th. Arm 211 just occurred. A uh, victim is a, you know, middle-aged uh, BFA, black female adult. Suspects, you know, five uh, young black males, one possible black female, black handgun, you know, fled uh, southbound East 14th. Occurred two ago, two minutes ago. And it probably went something like that. And then you would have heard a bunch of cops answering up, put me on it, I'm on my way. And then you're driving, so you're just calculating. You're like, okay, it happened two minutes ago. They fled southbound East 14th. If it happened two minutes ago on this street, then they're probably in this area right now. So while I'm driving there, I'm going to be looking. And, you know, the, she gave the description, the physical descriptions, and, you know, what some of them had on. You know, which was pretty amazing because most victims, when, you know, they get robbed, all they see is the gun. I'm driving in that area looking for them. And I saw a guy at a park. Black dude, early 20s, had on a jacket, had both his hands in his pockets. And I grabbed the radio. But as I grabbed the radio, I asked myself, am I 100% sure that this dude is the suspect because if I pick up this radio and I say I have eyes on the suspect from the armed 211 the armed robbery cops are coming and they're going to be amped up he might have a gun so this is basically what I would be bringing down upon this black man if I say I have eyes on the suspect and I'm at the park and this is my location he fits the description. He's wearing what the dude is wearing. I wasn't sure enough on that particular day to put that over the radio. So I said, okay, I'm gonna park my car where he can see me. Stay tuned, Snappers, because Genio's story is just getting started. Step Judgment. Snap Judgment, Genio's Journey. When we left off, Genio had eyes on a suspect that could be armed, could be dangerous, or could be an ordinary guy like him. If Genio calls for help, that means cops with guns, another black man in the crosshairs, and if he does not, Genio's on his own. 
Snap judgment. So I said, okay, I'm going to park my car where he can see me. And if he runs, then I'll get on the radio. He didn't run. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to walk directly toward him. And if he runs, then I'll get on the radio. And I walk directly toward him. And every step I'm taking, I mean, he has his hands in his pockets It's just, in my mind, the possibility that I could get shot is increasing with each step that I'm taking, closing the distance. I'm not going to walk toward him with my hand on my gun because my intent is to not make another innocent black man feel like a suspect. How far am I willing to go to do that? If he was the suspect, he could have blown my head off. He could have done that. And cops would have said, well, it's his fault. He didn't use his training. He didn't get on the radio, right? The community would have read about it in the paper. You know, cop got shot in the face. A lot of people in the community would have said so. You know, he was probably out there falsely accusing people, beating people. He's probably Uncle Tom. walked all the way up to him and I just talked to him with a smile on my face for about four or five minutes. Since most people are right-handed, I stood on his right side. So if he did have a gun in his right hand and he tried to pull it out and shoot me, I would be able to at least have a fighting chance. And I'm looking to see if he touches his head like a lot of people do before they kill somebody. And I decide I don't think he's a suspect. And I'll leave. Eugenio found the actual suspects in that robbery about 10 minutes later. He'd been right. The man in the park was innocent. But it still kept him awake at night. Eugenio says he kept doing this. He was generous with alleged suspects, even when it went against policing norms, and even when they could have really hurt him. There was the barrel-chested guy, shirtless and sweaty in the dead of winter, who kept swinging this metal pipe and the assault suspect she knew went looking for at midnight in someone's backyard. One night, she knew was driving home after a call about a man with a knife. It wasn't until after that that I thought about Jihad. And I remember thinking, you know, if I was that cop, would I have pulled the trigger? You know, I just feel like if I was there, maybe Jihad would still be alive. When Jihad was shot to death by the police, he'd been struggling with mental health issues for years. He had depression, started getting anxious, then he started to self-medicate. He tried to get help but had trouble getting into a residential treatment program. Sometimes he'd get high and get paranoid about law enforcement. And Genia would spend a few hours just sitting with him. I didn't feel in danger while I was with him. I was talking to a vulnerable person. When the police killed Jihad, Jinyu found out exactly what happened in bits and pieces. He ran into a restaurant, I think it's the Baghdad Cafe in San Francisco, and he grabbed some knives. He came outside and he was dancing around with the knives. And, you know, he was obviously having 
uh, some type of mental breakdown and <laughs> two cops showed up. He supposedly uh, lunged at one of them and they shot him and he died. Jihad's death made the news. Jinyu says those first few articles didn't mention that he'd gone to UC Berkeley or been a straight-A student. It said something to the effect of armed homeless man shouting racial and homophobic slurs is killed by police. The saddest part is we were talking one day and he, uh, he told me he was gay. You know, and, <laughs> you know, it was a trip because it never... It never crossed her. We never saw Jihad with a girl. He never had a girlfriend. <laughs> but it never crossed our minds. Girls were in love with him, but we just figured he was too focused on, on football and school and, you know, achievement. I mean, there's this dude with all this potential. All this potential. Potential to do anything. An amazing person. And, you know, I just imagine my friend having this mental breakdown where he's shouting all the things that the world calls him. I didn't protest. I didn't, I didn't organize. I, I wasn't like Jihad. It was like the beast just kind of reached into my world and, and, and took somebody. I mean, this dude killed my friend. There was a cop who killed my friend. He didn't know who he was. He didn't care about him, and he killed him. Now that Gina was in law enforcement, certain details about Jihad's death stood out to him. Like the way the cops said Jihad lunged at them with a knife. I know how we were trained in the academy, and I know what use of force laws matter, and I know how the reports are going to be written. And, you know, pretty much determine whether or not the cop is going to get off. Like, cops can do a lot, legally. Like being in law enforcement and being trained, you know, you'll see, you'll read an article where a cop shot somebody or like you'll see it happen. <laughs> people are going to people are going to be upset. People are going to protest that. And, you know, in the end, he's going to be fine because it was legal. But he shouldn't have done it. Like, I wouldn't have done it. Sometimes Jinyu knew what the right thing to do was, though it could be tough to actually do it. A lot of the time, he says policing was like getting trapped in this maze. You had the power to do pretty much anything, a thousand decisions to make, and it was so easy to take a wrong turn. Day after day, year after year, Jinyu policed neighborhoods like the one he grew up in. One time, a mom called the cops on her son because he just wasn't listening. Another time, Jinyu got a gun call about a kid, and it turns out he just had a BB gun. Sometimes, a call would go out over the radio, and they'd describe a suspect, black man, heavy set, dark clothes. It could be absolutely anyone. Have I ever been wrong about a person? Like, they put out a description of a suspect, and I stopped somebody, and I was wrong. Yes, I've been wrong. Yeah, yeah, I've been wrong. How'd it feel to be wrong? I felt like I was reasonably wrong, you know, but I, I've been wrong at least a couple times. Working in law enforcement is hard. 
is, is the most difficult years of my life. I went in and I've never tased anybody. I've never pepper sprayed anybody. I've never shot anybody. I've never beat anybody's ass. I did what I came to do. I, I am just taking a minute to reflect on the fact that like being a success as a police officer is not committing violence based on what you just articulated, right? Like, is that what success is? Is Success is not seriously hurting somebody? Well, I mean, that depends on, you know, there are instances in which somebody's going to have to get hurt. What I'm pleased about is I was able to go in and do the job the way that I wanted it to be done. I was never the cop that I would have complained about. And Gino didn't want to just avoid being a bad cop. He tried to be an actively good cop. He helped create a new unit that focused on community outreach, trying to address the circumstances that created crime in the first place. He helped them run after-school activities, bring in therapists, created community groups, and worked with kids. And it was complicated. Some people in the community weren't that psyched to have cops running their after-school activities. So-called good cops and community policing cops around the country have done a terrible job of protecting the community from bad cops. It's like they have no reason to trust you. And a lot of cops look down on this kind of work. Gino says some of the dudes he worked with were cool, but a lot of them just didn't see this as real policing. He says it wasn't like they didn't like each other. Gino was just separate. The guys I worked with were the guys that I worked with. Like, I've never been invited to the, the barbecue at a co-worker's house, you know. The information that you have can isolate you. And the understanding that you have. It turns out that occupying a badge and a gun can get lonely. And hard. Then, eight years into his career as an Alameda County Sheriff's deputy, Gino was about to wrap up his shift when a call came in over the radio. It was just a call for shots fired. You don't know who shot who. And I showed up, and there was a man dead in a parking lot. And that's how Gino ended up walking towards a swarm of cops in a thrift store parking lot and the black man that they had just killed. Some people on a perimeter and getting statements from everybody. We had to, like, interview people, and everybody has a different job to do. Details about the shooting came out later. The man the deputies shot was named Chris Ballard, and he was allegedly trying to shoplift from that thrift store. According to the Alameda County Sheriff's Department, Ballard tried to make a break for it in his car, and the deputies got entangled in his open car door as he drove away. They say Ballard dragged them about 20 feet, and they opened fire to stop him and to save their own lives. Gino didn't know about any of this yet. He remembers thinking, well, maybe this shooting was justified. But maybe it wasn't. And maybe it wasn't right. And at some point down the line, if I stay here long enough... How long am I going to be able to do this? How long am I going to be okay with the possibility of getting shot in the face by a person that I was not trying to treat like a suspect? Was there a point where I'm just, you know, getting on the radio? Yeah, I got the possible over here. Get down on the ground, pulling a gun out. Am I going to get to that point? Because, you know, fighting a good fight just doesn't make sense anymore. 
few weeks after that shooting, Daniel Ferreira turned in his badge. He and his band Flipside, they've gotten back together again, and they're cranking out a song a month. What you're hearing right now is one of their new singles, I Can't Breathe. Daniel's also working on a TV series inspired by his experiences in law enforcement and snappers. He's been going to protests. He says he's proud of the young people he sees out in these streets demanding a different world. We can't thank Daniel enough for sharing his story with us. This version of the story was adapted from the piece originally produced for World Affairs, an incredible weekly podcast and radio show. Special thanks to Jared Sport and Joanne Elgart Jennings, who originally edited and co-produced this piece. And if you like Gene Hill's story, you'll want to check out the World Affairs podcast. It's been a hell of a time, the world shifting beneath our feet. And if you want help making sense of it, World Affairs will break it down. Search for World Affairs, one word, wherever you get your podcast to listen and subscribe. The original score for this story was by Renzo Gorio. It was reported and produced by Teresa Casarillas. It was edited by Nika Singh. So I don't think you have a choice. How can you be an artist and not reflect the time? Yes, yes, it happened again. If you missed even a moment of today's show, subscribe to the Snap Judgment Podcast. Subscribe because someone's story might change your life. Change mine. And get into the Snap Nation conversation, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Don't miss a beat. Share our stories with the ones you love and the ones you don't love. If you ever wanted some Snap gear, you are in luck. Rock the t-shirt of your dreams. Let the world know you Snap. Snapjudgment.org. Snap is brought to you by the team that always avoids any hint of trouble. Except for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark. Give me trouble, Ristich. There's Pat Mercedi Miller, Anna Sussman, Renzo Gorio, John Cecil, Shayna Sheely, Marissa Dodge, Nika Singh, Teo Dukat, Leon Morimoto, Flo Wiley, Nancy Lopez, and Regina Bediaco. Now, this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you find yourself scared in the wrong part of town and look around and see it's just folks and probably you need to stop tripping and you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX.